Good morning. We are so happy that you have decided to join us as we turn the calendar year and the calendar month to August. So welcome. This is our first Sabbath in August. If you're part of the Loma Linda University Church, if you're part of our online community, you are in for a treat this Sabbath because it's our first Sabbath of camp meeting. And so we have a bevy of programming for you. We started yesterday with our Friday night program. We have Sabbath school. We have a program in the afternoon. And tonight we have a hymn sing. So it is a fantastic opportunity to just spend the whole Sabbath with us, whether that be in person or in the comfort of your own home. We are going to talk about today this idea of wrestling with strength. And before we do that, we're going to have a moment uh, to pray. So join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for your blessings, for your care. Thank you because you are the one that gives us the strength and the courage we need to move through the obstacles that the world will present. We pray that you stay with us and that you guide our conversation, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got my co-host here. We're excited about camp meeting. And Joey, how are you doing on this beautiful Sabbath morning? Oh, I'm doing so well. I always look forward to camp meeting. You know, I love I love our services, our um, sanctuary services each week. But it's nice once in a while to do something a little bit different. It gets you out of the uh, the regular rhythm. And there's just a special feel around camp meeting, we get to build a lot more community. People spend a lot more time together. We have programs from Friday all the way till Saturday night. So it's, yeah, I love, I love camp mm. meeting season. Yeah. And you know what, if you're with us in person, I know some of you watch this program as you're getting ready to come to church. That's okay. We love to be the background for your Sabbath preparations. But if you're here in person, come say hi. We're having Friendship Cop, and we're going to get to serve you Friendship Cup. So if you're in the Loma Linda area after third service, come say hi. We'd love to interact with you. We'd love to chat with you. Um, Donna Silsby, I saw your email this week. Thank you for the re recommendation on that book. I read Sigvi Tonstad's book, Joey, uh, particularly the ninth chapter on the binding of Isaac just blew my mind. So um, please, 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 if you have an opportunity to look at Tonstead's uh, book on uh, the Old Testament, give that a look. And as I said before, uh, come say hi. If you're watching us virtually, if you're part of our worldwide community, we're going to try to extend a virtual friendship cup to you. So the way that works is just send us your email. We'd love to interact with you uh, through email or through messages, whether that be on our YouTube or our Roku or our Facebook or just our personal emails, whatever platform you're following uh, through. We'd love to interact with you and have a bit of time just to connect and converse. Yeah, um, you'll have to share that book with me. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that chapter. Um, and it feels like with Friendship Cup, that feels like a milestone, right? Being outdoors and sharing lemonade outdoor. We did that a little bit during the um, pandemic where we served people wearing masks mm -hmm. and you know, all that stuff. But now to be able to do this in person and to just chat together after our third service out in the courtyard, I, I'm really, 
I'm lo looking forward to that. We're looking forward to see all of you. And I just realized, thank you for reminding me. I told you the book. I didn't give you a title. Yeah. So the title is The God of Sense and Traditions of Nonsense mm. uh, by Sigvi, who's uh, just a treasure. It's a treasure to get to converse with him and to have him in and around our community on occasion. So The God of Sense and Traditions of Nonsense, Chapter 9, is on the binding. binding. Donna, thank you so much for that recommendation. I picked it up on my Kindle, and I read the chapter that you recommended and some valuable insights there. Wow, that's that's a great title. Isn't it The God, the God of Sense and Traditions of Nonsense? Yeah. So they, he had me with the title, but um, <laughs> it's some really, really poignant and profound commentary on uh, that particular chapter that we've been looking at. So, Joey, we're talking... Uh, throughout this quarter about these ideas of wrestling and being in the crucible. And today we kind of move a bit to consider what gets us through the crucible. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, John chapter 16. We're going to look just briefly at Colossians 1, which serves kind of as a grounding text for this, the lesson. I just love Colossians for its deep uh, Christological bent. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit, which is, after all, what gets us through these crucibles. Yeah. Um, it is not on our own might, our ability, our strength, our endurance. Uh, we believe that the only way to get get through these troubling times is by grafting ourselves to the Spirit. Wow, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to diving into that, this partnership, the divine human partnership um, that gets us through the crucible and what that looks like and how <laughs> does that compare to this idea that we're saved by grace alone mm. and all of that. So looking forward to this discussion. So, Joey, let's think just in the in our mind's eye that we are the disciples. And John 16, as you know, is part of this collection of sayings. It's kind of Jesus's, we call it the farewell sayings uh, of Jesus. And so this is um, as he continues developing this idea of being grafted to him mm. and this idea of Christ dwelling in us. He begins to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And I just find the way that this section starts so moving um, in verse 6. Um, so this is all brought about by a question. I am going to the one who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. So it's almost as if... Uh, the disciples don't really know, as part of this series of farewell sayings, where Jesus is going. Mm. But they know that the departure of Jesus is going to bring some problems. Uh, the end of chapter 15 is all about how we will be persecuted, how the world will hate Christ's disciples because the world hates Christ. And it's almost as if before Jesus is going to give them the formula of how to get through the troubling times that will come with his departure, he takes a moment, he pauses a mo he pauses just for a brief moment to recognize their grief. Mm -hmm. And I find that just so moving because ultimately 
the coming of the advocate and the comforter is good news. Mm -hmm. But we can't get to experience the good news in its fullness if we don't take some time to recognize and acknowledge that there is some loss there. That's so true. I mean, for us, from the 21st century perspective, it's so easy for us to just skip over the hardship and jump straight to the good news mm -hmm. as we're wont to do. We've talked about that before. But Jesus does take, like you said, take time to recognize the struggle and the grief and the loss they're going to experience because it really is a crucible. For us, we know that at the end of um, the three days, Jesus is going to be resurrected and they're going to have new hope and this whole movement is going to be launched and their lives are going to change forever. We know that. But man, just to pause for a moment of what the disciples went through on what we call Good Friday, mm -hmm. right? Um, which they thought was anything but good <laughs> on Friday. Man, that, that loss where their whole world is turned upside down, where their the trajectory of life where they thought they were going completely shifts. Mm -hmm. And this master that they've devoted three and a half years of life to is now stripped away from them and dead, right? That, that loss that they experienced, um, yeah, there's a lot of grief there. Mm -hmm. And Jesus recognizes that even before it happens, he's in preparing them for it. He, he takes time to recognize mm -hmm. them. And, you know, that taking time requires, I think, again, grounding in Jesus's ministry, not in the realm of your big word for the day, metaphysical, not in the realm of the metaphysical, but in the fleshy, earthly existence that we are called to live out as human beings. Yeah. There's, there's deep intimacy and acknowledgement of emotion in the, in the passage as Jesus begins to introduce the comforter. Um, uh, the Prince of Pulpiteers, Fred Craddock, um, talks about this particular passage, and he, he really gives an analogy that is apropos. Uh, Craddock says that, imagine for a moment that you are a child watching your parents get dressed to go out. Now, the question that is burning in your mind is, where are you going? Hmm. But that question really doesn't hit at the base emotion that you are experiencing. Mm. Because the reason why you're asking where are you going, at least in Craddock's mind, is really is really can we come with you? That's really the question that Such. is that is burning up in, in the child's mm. mind. And Craddock, I think, masterfully notes that this is probably the emotion that the disciples are feeling. Mm. Yes, it's important. To know Jesus has all actually already told them where he's going. He's going back to the Father who sent him. But I think what the, what the disciples are struggling with is that second question. Mm. Well, then can we come with yeah. you? And the answer is painful because the answer is not yet. Yeah. Um, and I think often we need some more instruction mm. or at least we need some more insight. Uh, as to how to navigate those not yet moments. Mm. Um, and crucibles are, after all, the ultimate uh, indicator of these not yet moments. Mm. Wow, that is so beautiful, so powerful. Yeah, I love Fred Craddock because he really does take these, takes these um, deep philosophical truths and makes them so real mm -hmm. and practical and tangible. He's a, he's a masterful homiletician. So he, he just, 
is is beautiful he beautifully crafts these these messages and that's really he strikes at the longing that at the disciples feel that we actually mm. experience now too why can't we god be with you now right why do we have to be in the crucible and when jesus says you have to wait a little longer mm-hmm. not yet as you said um yeah, that's, that's the longing that the disciples feel, the, the longing that we feel as we go through these challenging moments and God is saying, you have to wait a little. And, and like children, if, if your children are anything like mine, they don't always get why they have to wait, mm-hmm. why they can't go with us, especially when they were younger. They mm-hmm. could, they, why can't we go with you, mom and dad, when you go on this anniversary trip? Like, aren't we your beloved children <laughs> yeah. as well? Right? Why can't we follow you al- along with you? And you say, not yet, right? Except Jesus doesn't only go, he doesn't go away just to be with God. He tells them in John 14, he goes to prepare a place for them, right? And um, he addresses, and then and then he addresses in, in this passage um, what that even though he is leaving, and even though uh, they can't go with him, he's not completely abandoned. Mm. Right? There is something that he's doing for them that he does also for us. Yeah, yeah. That I think is is a beautiful way of looking at it. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what will push Jesus to say, it is actually for your own good that I am leaving, mm. because if I don't leave, you cannot have the comforter or the advocate. Um, and so I think the lesson hints right at this idea of the Holy Spirit as being this force that allows us to give us the strength to go, to go through the crucible as we've been talking through this week. But I just love the way that Jesus puts it. Uh, In verse 7 and 8, he says, But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. In John, there's this clear dichotomy, right? John is all about about creating dichotomies and creating separations. And in his dualistic worldview, it's the world and the ones who fought, the ones who are called to follow Christ. Mm. And so the world is kind of this amorphous entity throughout the gospel. And all we know about it is that it stands in the way um, through misunderstanding of the purpose that Christ has given to his followers. Mm -hmm. What I find so moving though, is that there are three things, at least in John's economy, that the world is wrong about. The world is wrong about sin. Mm -hmm. It is wrong about righteousness and it is wrong about judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not just the spirit that allows you to go through the crucible. So the spirit can't just be uh, anesthetic that'll get you through the crucible and make it hurt mm. a little less. Yeah. What the spirit truly does is it places the suffering in its proper perspective so that the path of suffering has meaning. Mm. And I think those are two really, really different ideas because when you get, when you start looking at the Holy Spirit as simply an anesthetic to get me through this difficult moment, you lose the possibility that the meaning itself or the journey itself has some richness and some depth and maybe some things to tell us. And so Mm -hmm. at least in John's mind, there are three things 
that the world is wrong and that then the Spirit has come to reorient that paradigm, to correct our view of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Wow. So the, the Spirit's role isn't just to relieve pain. And actually, at times, he may not relieve any pain, but it is to use the, the crucible to reorient, like you said, reorient our mind on these principles mm -hmm. to change our view of the world, of God, and um, the sin that we commit mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, so... Let's look at it, shall we? Let's look at these three misunderstandings that we have that I think uh, if you don't get it, it actually makes suffering a bit more difficult to bear. Mm. So the first thing that uh, the, um, the Spirit tells us is it tells us how to understand sin in its proper context. Mm. Now, we, we love, don't we, Joey, to have this cause and effect relationship to sin. We, we believe that sin is causal. So I do something, and depending on what I do, um, there are some consequences that I need that I need to to engage with. Uh, and that is not to say that that doesn't happen sometimes. Sometimes sin is causal, but most of the time, the causality of sin is a result of what sin does. And so, what sin has ultimately done is it has changed the way we perceive ourselves. As it, as, as it pertains to God. Mm. So it's not that God has changed the way he looks at me. It's not that God has changed the way he loves me. It's not that God has changed the way he cares for me. It's that sin has introduced a murkiness to the relationship that has now made me begin to question my the way that I am perceived uh, by God. Wow. So sin is not just a result of my actions and choices. Sin is a state of being inside mm -hmm. of us that changes the way that we even view the world mm -hmm. and distorts our worldview. Is that right? Right. And so imagine what would happen then um, if I have a distorted way of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. Obviously, my, dis my distorted way of looking at the world is going to ultimately be lived out in mm -hmm. actual real uh, palpable things that do have painful consequences. But the problem itself isn't the action, it's the perception that I have about myself that causes me to act in a way that contravenes God's ultimate design for me. So we have a broken worldview and that's what lead, leads us to make bad choices that cause, mm. causes destruction on yeah. us and on others. Yeah. Um, and not so much, it's just a result of, oh, I just need to change my actions mm -hmm. and then I won't be a sinner anymore. Well, and, and stay with that idea for a second because I think... We often talk about this, but I, 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 I so am happy that we are lingering over this passage because I think to clarify these three points allows us not only to have a proper understanding of the brokenness that the world has, but it also is going to allow us to have a proper understanding of how God sees us. Mm -hmm. So um, you said that uh, our broken worldview causes us to act in ways that are detrimental to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. When we think that sin is simply something that I do, then evidently we're going to have, that understanding of sin is going to allow us to have an improper understanding of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Because if we believe that sin is something actionable, 
then righteousness is simply the, the stopping those actions. Mm. So all that righteousness is, is a reversal of these actions. And it's kind of to stop. Mm -hmm. um, if sin is what I do, then righteousness is to stop doing it. And that has a problem mm. because ultimately then, if you believe that sin is actionable and that righteousness is uh, simply to stop, then you are in control of your righteousness. That's true. So if sin is is just an act, then righteousness is a change in behavior mm -hmm. and we can do a change in behavior. So it's it's up to us and we can handle it and we can fix it mm -hmm. and, and move on and we can gain righteousness mm -hmm. for ourselves. And not only can we gain it, but we can, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be hard, but it, 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 this particular way of looking at life is going to allow us to climb this spiritual ladder uh, as we try to become more righteous. And the problem with climbing spiritual ladders is that as you go step by step, you, you, you tend to see uh, the people that are in the rungs below you as a, a bit less developed spiritually. And so I think... Yeah. Uh, it, it also impacts the way that we look at judgment. So if sin is the act and righteousness is the change in behavior, then judgment then is me standing before God in order to be measured. How well did I do mm. on behavioral modification? And the reason why we, we believe that judgment is this moment where I'm measured on my behavioral modification is because we think that there's enmity between us and the judge, mm. that there's a problem between us and the judge. And so if we please the judge, then the judge will accept us. Wow. So the end result is a, a perspective towards a very hostile perspective towards mm -hmm. the judge, because we're looking at him as going through all of our behaviors and saying, okay, you did the X number of bad things and X number of good things. And so you did more. And so he's just really just trying to nitpick and figure out what, what we did wrong and keep us out of the mm -hmm. kingdom when that's not the view of judgment mm -hmm. in scripture at all right. when it comes to God. And so then suffering itself, mm -hmm. and we have a long Christian tradition of this, don't we, Joey, where suffering is then used or leveraged in order to say, well, God is trying to have me earn some righteousness or trying to impute some righteousness in me. And so I have to go through this path of denial mm -hmm. and of suffering. And the point of suffering is to get me closer to God. So what ends up happening is suffering then becomes, becomes a tool by which we measure um, how well we're doing vis-a-vis -vis God. Mm -hmm. So imagine Jesus is telling them now, the paradigm changes. Because when you understand through the Spirit what sin is, namely simply the state of separation from me, mm -hmm. then you understand that righteousness is something only I can do, namely wow. restore us to this idyllic space of intimacy. And judgment then is not... Uh, this adversarial moment where I confront the judge, it's this moment of celebration where we witness the result of this int intimacy restored. Hmm. 
So this whole process that God is leading us through is the judge. Judgment actually is the culmination of the restoration that the judge mm-hmm. is doing in our mm-hmm. lives. He's fixing us and then saying, mm-hmm. you're done. Right, mm-hmm. right. And Joey, that I think gives us a way better understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. Right, because a lot of times in, in Christian theology, we have two gods. We have Jesus's good cop to the father's bad cop. <laughs> and so we want Jesus to intercede and to stand between us mm-hmm. because God is the bad cop. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, yeah. you've seen the father. And so I was just thinking about this as I, as I pondered uh, earlier this week, this whole idea of, of judgment and how the spirit allows us to see and understand this a bit differently. And it, it, took me to uh, my previous ministerial position before I came to Loma Linda and had the privilege of pastoring a church. It was um, it was a church in a small town um, and my associate and I, we, we just were really involved because it was a really small town and so both of us were involved with uh, the Chamber of Commerce and we were involved with uh, the fire department and the police uh, station, and we were involved with uh, parenting classes and a bunch of a bunch of things like that. And one of one Sabbath um, after church, I got a notice that one of my elders had been in a, a rather serious car crash and was being transported to one of the medical centers out in, in this area. And so I drove as fast as I could. Um, and during this, uh, this drive, I, I got pulled over by, by the highway patrol and there's, there's a line I don't remember. Maybe you, as you're watching, can actually tell us, uh, we have some legal scholars out there, but there's a certain moment where, uh, speeding ceases to be a misdemeanor and it becomes a felony. Um, they call it reckless endangerment and it has to do with the amount of, uh, miles per hour you were going over the speed limit. Well, I don't, I don't know what that is, but I was over it. And so I got pulled over and uh, got a ticket and I had to appear before, before a judge. Mm. And I, um, it was nerve wracking because let's face it, a uh, court is nerve wracking. Judgment is nerve wracking. And so I was very nervous. And this was very, a very serious, very somber, very solemn moment. And as I, as I waited there, uh, in, for the judge to show up. Um, I was sweating bullets because I was guilty. Mm. Um, and I knew I was guilty. And so now it was, it was time to reap the rewards of, of my, of my trying to speed. Uh, and then the judge came in and as she came in, uh, there was all, all this pomp and circumstance and, um, we all stood and my terror gave way to, to a bit of, uh, relaxation and joy because I knew the judge. Uh, the judge and I had served on, on a bunch of little projects to, to improve the city together. And so while we weren't like the best of friends, we were, we were fairly good friends. And so she saw me and I saw her and she looked and said, pastor, what are you doing in my courtroom? And I said, well, I explained what it was. And she said, just, just go, just go and don't let me catch you again. And that was it. The ticket was dismissed. Charges were dropped. It, It was fine. There wasn't a blemish on my record. Now, there was nothing in my status that had changed. Mm. Um, the only thing that had switched was my relationship with the judge. Mm. 
And so perhaps the point of brokenness in the world isn't uh, to try to get you closer to God. Perhaps the brokenness in the world and the need for the Spirit to bring about some transformation, not only in our lives, but in the midst of our brokenness, is for us to realize that we know the judge. Mm -hmm. And because we know the judge, we can stand in front of judgment at ease and relaxed because the judge is on our side. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit's role isn't just to fix us so that our behavior improves. Part of that fixing process is to reorient the way that we see mm -hmm. our judge and our relationship with the judge and um, our relationship with that judge um, that, that he, or in your case, that your judge was a she, um, cares so deeply mm -hmm. about us and wants what's best for yeah, us. Absolutely. And Joey, that I think brings a whole new, at least possibility to understanding suffering, mm. right? Because then suffering isn't something that the judge is sending as a uh, punishment for my behavior. Mm. Suffering isn't something that the judge is allowing to happen because he's trying to teach me a lesson. Suffering is simply uh, something, it, it's part and parcel of the world. And it has been so ingrained into this world that the judge himself has suffered. Mm. Uh, so there is no sense, I think, um, in trying to understand suffering. Suffering is often pointless. Mm. But I think when we understand who the judge is and the fact that the judge was so relentlessly in our favor that he himself suffered, mm -hmm. then that gives us the capacity to say it's an honor mm -hmm. to suffer as Christ suffered. Um, and I, we've talked about this before. I think that mm -hmm. shift is what allowed the early church to look at suffering not as a teacher, not as punishment, but as an opportunity to identify with the judge. Mm. So if that's the case, if it's all, if this whole process is about an internal change that God is doing to us that ultimately results in an external change mm -hmm. eventually, maybe by focusing on the behavior too much, um, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Mm -hmm. um, that maybe the behavior itself is sort of a lagging indicator mm -hmm. of of the change that God is doing inside of us. Right. You know, they, they talk about how um, weight, our change in weight is always a lagging indicator of healthy habits, mm -hmm. right? When we engage in healthy habits, sometimes we actually gain weight before we lose <laughs> weight. And that's, that's the point that a lot of people quit dieting is because they're frustrated. They're like, how am I gaining weight when I've been working so hard and doing all, eating right and exercising and I'm gaining weight instead of, instead right, of losing right. weight? It's, it's so frustrating. And so they quit when really the weight change is a lagging indicator, mm -hmm. which means that I can do, I can eat a bunch of chocolate right now. It doesn't mean I'm going to go to my scale and all ultimate, and, um, immediately gain like five pounds, right? Right. It's going to take some time for that decision to impact my weight gain. So it's a lagging indicator. And by looking at a lagging indicator and fo focusing on that rather than the internal change that's happening with me, instead of focusing on my ha healthy habits, then it actually can frustrate the process mm -hmm. of change.
Whereas, and, and in, in, in what you seem to be saying is that our behavioral changes, the ultimately the, the behavioral changes that we make are lagging indicators of having more patience and mm-hmm. in, in, in all of those things are lagging indicators of the change that God is making yeah. inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happens when uh, these lagging behaviors, lagging indicators are moved from their proper position as measuring tools and they become the end in themselves? Mm. Yeah. Well, your life is transformed, mm. but your relationship with the judge isn't. Mm. So let's, let's imagine for a, for a moment that I didn't know the judge and that the judge looked at me and said, well, you're, you're guilty, guilty as sin. And so you are going to now have to, you know, go to, to jail or pay a huge fine. I'm pretty sure that I would, that I would have changed my driving habits, mm. but my relationship with the justice system wouldn't have changed. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think when all you focus on is these lagging behaviors, these lagging mm. indicators, the ultimate change, which is God's attempt at having something internal occur is missed. And mm. so we sadly never alter our relationship with the judge. Yeah. So it's like focusing on weight gain and weight loss when really the thing that we should be focusing on is being healthier. Mm-hmm. Cause you can lose weight and still be very unhealthy. Absolutely. And you can gain weight and still be healthy. Absolutely. Right? Tell tell me about it. <laughs> so really the focus should be on the health, not on the weight gain. And yet we focus on those those other indicators and focus on our behaviors when really what we need to uh-huh. concentrate on is our relationship with God. So just so you you get this right again, um, you can gain weight and still be healthy. That's the big takeaway. <laughs> So it, once this changes, so one, one, so let's say we, we have the Spirit, we've learned what the Spirit does, our relationship vis-a-vis God has shifted. Mm. What Suffering doesn't necessarily stop. No. How then do we view suffering, Joey? So we've had this change, mm. internal change, external transformation. We know the judge. We're able to stand confidently in front of him. What do we do then with moments, whether they be small moments of suffering or whether they be prolonged experiences in the crucible? Wow, yeah. Well, first of all, like you were talking about before, in, instead of seeing those struggling moments as adversarial moments where we are struggling against God, it really becomes then, because we've had that shift, mm-hmm. it's a struggling with God right? Mm -hmm. That it is a divine human working together rather than us fighting against God. God is putting us to the test or God is throwing at at us challenges that we have to overcome on our own in order to come out the other side. It is God walking alongside us through these challenging moments. And it is working with the Holy Spirit, who is our partner that gets us through it. Mm, So this adversarial relationship then turns collaborative. Yeah. It doesn't make suffering goes go away, but it does help to have some a, a journey partner on this road that is suffering. It does help to have somebody that you can process and maybe even just vent to. There's, I think, a great benefit, whether that be emotional or therapeutic or even spiritual, 
uh, to this discipline of venting. Mm. Um, and we can do that because we have a relationship with God that is fully, fully transparent. Uh, this, this knowing who the judge is has transformed our relationship from one where we feel we have to please God to one where we have where we can be transparent to God, and so it allows you then for a space, even within suffering, to vent, uh, to question, mm. to struggle, uh, to be upset, to maybe take a break because sometimes, hey, let's face it, we need to take a break mm. um, and and try to re reorient ourselves or regroup ourselves. All of these things, if you're trying to please God, I don't want to question God. Mm. If we're trying to please God, I don't want to vent to God. If we're trying to please God, I don't want to take a break from church. Mm -hmm. But if I have a relationship that is transparent with God, there is a space for that within within my spiritual life. Yeah, and that's important to dwell on because... We, we give lip service to this idea that God is our partner, but um, there are times when we've, well, that I have felt afraid to be perfectly honest with God, which is, when you really think about mm -hmm. it, is kind of ironic because God knows everything anyway, right. regardless of whether I tell him or not, right, he knows right, what right. I'm, I'm going through. He can understand my, my situation. And yet, um, it's, almost like, it's almost like going to the dentist and the dentist asks you, so how, how, you know, how have you been doing, yeah, how often did you brush? How are you doing with flossing? When they ask you that question, you already know that they know mm -hmm. that you haven't been doing a very mm -hmm. good job. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking you. Mm -hmm. They would just be saying, great job, mm -hmm. right? And yet there's this something in me that wants to, to make myself look good or so, you know, you, you, you fudge the truth a mm -hmm. little bit and say, yeah, pretty regularly yeah i floss regularly mm -hmm. right um when not telling the truth doesn't gain me anything mm -hmm. at all and yet there is something in us that does that with god wants to do that with god and god is saying no i'm your partner in this i'm not, the the dentist is not there to judge me they're not to, there to say to me well i can't be your dentist anymore because you refuse to brush your teeth no they're there to try to help us to improve our health our, mm -hmm. our teeth health, right? And God is the same way. He is, he's saying, I'm your partner, so be honest with mm -hmm. me. I think we need to dwell on that. It also adds, seeing him as our partner also gives us access, though, to power, to abilities, to things that are beyond our own, right? We're not responsible for even changing our perspective of who God is. That's not just us, right? Because Jesus says in John fifteen, uh, John sixteen, that um, the Holy Spirit will convict mm -hmm. you, right? So He's even your partner in in changing that perspective. So we do have that access to something mm. beyond ourselves. Mm. And that access, I think, is what the lesson is trying to really, really tease out. It's mm -hmm. that when you go through uh, the crucible, you have strength. But it's impossible to think that I have the capacity, right, to be strong enough to face whatever it is that the world has to throw mm -hmm. at me. One of, I think, the most trite and probably the most pernicious things that we say uh, to people that are in the crucible is, well, God's not going to test you beyond yeah. what you can handle. Yeah. 
what is, what, what is that terrible thing to, what a terrible thing to say. Um, God's not trying to test you. God's not trying to see how much you can handle and just push you to your very, to your very physical and emotional and spiritual limits and then say, okay, you're worthy. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. What God is trying to do is he's trying to unlock this reserve that allows for you to be able to face any particular experience, not by liking it, mm -hmm. not by accepting it, not by, by being okay with it, but by, by facing it with complete contentment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that we've, we've lost a bit in our nervousness with um, trying to assign rationality to suffering. We forget that it's not something it's there is no purpose in suffering itself god can find purpose through suffering but the, but suffering itself doesn't serve a purpose and so i think what what god is trying to do is trying to make us realize that we can unlock this capacity in him to face all things as paul said in all things um, I am content. Uh, and so that, I think, that approach where you are okay with whatever life throws at you, that is impossible to do if we're trying to do it on our own. Wow. Yeah. So in our efforts to try to find meaning in suffering and um, alleviate the discomfort of the reality of suffering, we sometimes distort our view of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so what is, I think, a healthier view of God or a view of God that I can actually be at peace as I face, what I, be at peace with as I face whatever crucible I need to face is not unlike what Paul points to in Colossians, which mm. was kind of the central text for our lesson. So we've understood that it's the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this potential within us this realization that god is dwelling in us how does that get lived out and mm -hmm. so the lesson push it points us to first corinthians 28 and 29 um which is he speaking of christ remember paul has just finished with i think one of the most beautiful passage uh, verses in Ephesians in Colossians to them God has chosen to make known about the Lord's people among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory so again this idea right Joey mm -hmm. that Christ is living in you not unlike what Jesus tells the disciples in the gospel of John I am sending you the comforter to dwell in you mm -hmm. he speaking now of Christ is the one who proclaims admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I and this is the, the passage that the lesson really focus on, to this end, to achieve full maturity in Christ, mm -hmm. I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Wow. So the purpose then is not to teach us how to avoid suffering. Mm. The purpose then... And the call of the gospel, and again, I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you that once you give your life to Jesus, it's all going to be okay, and it's going to be great, and all your relationships are going to be peachy, and you're going to win the lottery, and those financial issues are going to go away. That's not true, mm. because that's not the point. 
The point isn't to escape suffering. The point is to achieve maturity in Christ. Wow. And that's, that's to the point that we actually need to struggle through. That, mm-hmm. That's a part of the growth process is there is a striving, as my version says, striving according to his power, which mightily works within mm-hmm. me. So there is this dual relationship of God working within me, but us also striving alongside mm-hmm. God, which sometimes we, in our attempts to focus on the grace of God and that God is, um, that only God, we don't deserve um, salvation and that, mm. that it's by grace alone, that we almost get this impression at times that we don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. right? But as, as many people have so appropriately said, God is not against effort. He's against earning, right? Mm-hmm. The gospel is not against effort. It's against earning. We don't earn our salvation. We don't work so that we deserve it. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something that we have to do. Yeah, yeah, that's really well stated. Um, that's really well stated. And I think that's when you recognize, and this is why I love uh, I love Colossians. I think if you want a picture of a high Christology, uh, the place to go is Colossians, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the chapter that follows our reading for today. The second chapter of Colossians, I think, uh, presents this wonderful hymn. Uh, to Christ that was part of the doxology in the early church. But it's this idea that, as you said, we are supposed to do something, Mm -hmm. but we're not supposed to do something because we're worthy or we're strong or we've achieved. We're supposed to do something because Christ chooses partnership um, with us. And so Christ's primary thing is he wants not only to work with us and through us and among us, but he wants this to be a synergy. He wants Mm. us to have a partnership. And I think you can have that partnership whether you are facing moments and times of trouble and you're in the crucible Mm. or uh, whether you're having moments of joy when everything seems to be working according to plan. Yeah, I love that. I love that thought that Christ doesn't just work in us, he works with us, right? Mm -hmm. That it's always a partnership. And that's the beauty, the mind-blowing, wondrous beauty of the gospel, of the message of the Bible from the very beginning of creation, that you see this idea that God wants to work alongside Mm -hmm. man, which is I mean, if I were God, right, if I were God and I could do everything perfectly, right. would I want a bunch of human beings that are just, just these creations that have just been created who have a potential to really mess up the world, which we actually did, mm-hmm. right? Would I give them the freedom, the, the the dominion to be able to do that? I don't know if I would, but God does. I mean, God trusts us enough that he even le- gives us the freedom to mess up, mm-hmm. which I can tell you as a parent for myself, that's one of the str- struggles I yeah, have, absolutely. right? Like when I see, I know my kids, I, I think I know my kids pretty well, but when I see moments where I feel like, oh man, I don't think they can handle this. It is so tempting to just step in and just take over, right? To step in and say, no, 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 no. I've got I've this got for it. this. And, and just relieve all of that, relieve all the hard stuff, just take care of it for them. God doesn't do that. God says, actually, you know, I created you. to. You can handle hard stuff. And if you mess up, I'm still going to be yeah. here. Yeah. Joey, I think that's because, and I love that analogy that you just used. 
we have to then ask the question, what is God's purpose with mm. us? Does God create because God needs people to, beings to come and worship him? Does God create because God, um, like many other creation myths would seem to suggest, that God needs somebody to do some work for him? Yeah. Or does God create because it's in God's very nature to create? And if it's in, God, in God's very nature to create, then what he creates is beings that ultimately are striving towards independence and towards maturity. Mm -hmm. And so because God's ultimate design for us is independence and maturity, God's going to allow us to have moments when we, when we mess up. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, as you were talking about, I can still think about my first driving lesson. Now, my parents at that at this point needed me to drive because both of them were working. And it was kind of necessary for me to go from place to place and, and be a bit more independent. I was really going to believe their schedule. So my dad takes me out. And my dad knows ultimately that um, if I learn how to drive, I'm going to have much more freedom, much more independence. But I, I'm scared. And I, I can just remember his face. He was gripping that side, those sides <laughs> of that car and pale. But he was allowing me to, to go mm. through uh, this really, <laughs> just this really trying experience because it was worth it. Mm. The, in, at least in his mind, his mm -hmm. result was worth it. The result was worth it. So I think, and again, I'm not saying that God allows us to go through suffering because he has some grand design for suffering. What I'm saying is God does allow us to partner with him in the struggle and in the growth mm. because God's ultimate purpose for us is maturity and independence. Wow. Wow. I think really that imagery is so perfect. Moving from the driver's seat to the passenger seat so that your teenager can learn to drive. I think that's one of the ultimate acts of parental love. <laughs> and faith. faith. I mean, faith in your children. Yes. But if you never did that, your child would never learn how to drive. And always right? be dependent on it. Yeah. And if that's what you wanted, if you want to control that, be perfect. Yeah. But God doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. He lets us step into that driver's seat. He stand, but he sits next to us and he provides and he cares and guides and comforts and, and helps us to learn and grow. And once in a while, hopefully, he even takes the wheel. Yeah. Let's pray, Joey. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you. We always talk about how we want to trust in you, but you trusted in us first. And honestly, it seems at times that that trust was misplaced that we mess up, you trust us, and then we mess up and we don't come through for you. And yet, despite the many times that we have abused that trust, you still extend your trust to us so that we can have the space to fail and still grow. Lord, help us to trust in you and trust others as well so that we give room for them to grow as well as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So whether you are cruising through life or whether your journey has become difficult and treacherous and winding, God is right there by your side in that car. 
So may you drive with confidence because he drives with you. We'll see you next week.